This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Wednesday, December 15th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us across America on the Relevant Radio Network and the Relevant Radio app. Every Wednesday, we always remember that this is the day dedicated to praying to St. Joseph. Go to Joseph, the patron of the Universal Church. We continue to unite our prayers for all the victims and all the families that were devastated by the tornadoes this past weekend that ripped across six states, including the worst hit state of Kentucky. And with that in mind, we begin our day and the show in prayer, praying to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, the patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we especially invoke the Holy Spirit this morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we do every day, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from John 14, 6. Jesus the Lord says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one name and only one way to be saved, to go to the Father and have a real Christmas, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to Christmas Day. This is what it's all about, Christ's Mass. Jesus is the reason for the season. Let's make room for Jesus in our hearts the rest of this Advent season. We always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. As uh, we've been praying now for days, we continue to pray for all those affected by uh, the devastating tornadoes that hit Kentucky and the five other states uh, over this past weekend. Uh, tens of thousands of people, as we speak, are without power or without water. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir said the good news was that the death toll did not increase Tuesday, standing at 74 people killed in the devastating tornadoes, including 12 children. Uh, but he does expect that the numbers are going to rise in the upcoming days, uh, since more than 100 people are still missing. An emotional Governor Bashir choked up at a tornado news conference on Monday. But again, with this amount of damage and rubble, it may be a week or even more before we have uh, a, a final count. Just a few more facts about those we've, we've lost. Uh, 18 are still unidentified. Um, of the ones that we know, the age, the age range is five months 
to 86 years, and six are younger than 18. I know like the folks in, in Western Kentucky, um, I'm not doing so well today, and I'm not sure how many of us uh, are. I was working on getting the confirmed deaths this morning and realized I was writing on the back of, uh, of notes that one of my kids took from uh, school. And here's what, um, what it is. It's, it's notes on inertia. It means that an object that's in motion will stay in motion. So we're going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and push through this. Um, everybody out there, get the help you need. Take care of yourself, and we'll continue to, to provide updates. Um, to the people of Western Kentucky, we're not going anywhere. Very emotional moment for Governor Andy Bashir. Now, the town of Mayfield, Kentucky, located in the Owensboro Diocese, was one of the hardest hit communities by the tornadoes this past weekend, with the entire downtown absolutely decimated. More than 100 people reportedly sought shelter in a local candle-making factory, and the officials believe that uh, as many as a dozen may have died. Joining us now is the Bishop of Owensboro, Kentucky, His Excellency Bishop Will. William Medley. Excellency, good morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us during this very difficult time. Thank you. I appreciate your inviting me to be with you. Excellency, um, what was your reaction uh, when you uh, first learned of the tornadoes uh, decimating your diocese uh, at a time right before Christmas? Uh, well, obviously just shock and disorder. Uh, I had followed some of the weather warnings during the night, Friday night and early Saturday morning. But, you know, it's very unusual for a tornado to strike in December. It's very unusual for a tornado of this magnitude to strike during the night. And so even the news outlets were not giving us much information. So it really wasn't until I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Saturday and began to plug in that I realized what, because the storms did not hit in Owensboro, where I live, to understand that so many of our communities had been struck. And even, well, even to today, uh, it, info, detailed information is hard to come by. But uh, I know that at least four counties in western Kentucky have experienced 10 or more fatalities each, and then there are scattered fatalities throughout. So uh, I... Uh, know how devastated those people are i'm thinking of the of the deceased the people who whose loved ones have died uh or perhaps are not even accounted for yet or have not been identified uh there's just so much uncertainty and then i'm hearing estimates that there are uh, more than a thousand families probably homeless their homes are are not going to be repairable so uh the magnitude of of the tragedy is is just uh, immense Excellency, uh, many of uh, the injured uh, in Mayfield at the Candle Factory uh, were parishioners of your diocese. Uh, how has the community responded? Well, uh, the Catholic community of Mayfield uh, over the last couple of decades has become predominantly an Hispanic community, and we're aware that many of them were employed by the Candle Factory. However, as you uh, reported earlier, uh, it may be <clears throat> that there are far fewer fatalities there than were originally anticipated. Apparently, people uh, did get away 
or perhaps were not on site. And so uh, the last I heard, there's maybe eight fatalities from there. At one point, they were projecting there would be 70 or more. So that's good news. But the community has rallied. On Sunday, I, I traveled to Graves County. We could not go to St. Joseph Church, the Catholic church in town, but St. Jerome Church in Fancy Farm in the same county invited that community uh, to come and celebrate Mass for Gaudete Sunday and for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So about 200 uh, parishioners gathered, and uh, the pastor, Father Eric Riley, gave a profound uh, and emotional homily about the joy, the, the themes of joy uh, that Gaudete Sunday presents to us and hope that are presented to us by Our Lady Guadalupe. So uh, it was an emotional gathering. Uh, people are still trying to get organized. Most of the people I spoke to there, their homes have been spared, but they, uh, the power grid and the water supply for the town are destroyed. And so some of them may have to relocate as well. But it was a marvelous manifestation of faith that here just hours after such a storm, they were gathering to, to express their faith and to praise God. We've seen uh, the uh, heartbreaking images of uh, young children. Uh, last night there was a candlelight vigil um, in Mayfield. Um, there's a lot of prayers going on, and a lot of prayers because there's so many needs. Uh, your, your thoughts on how the community is coming together in prayer and how so many people are stepping up and, and trying to do whatever they can to help. I have been just overwhelmed by the calls of support that I've gotten from fellow bishops. Uh, we've had to divert at our pastoral center, our chancery, we've had to divert many staff to answering the phones of people calling from all over the country wanting to help. And uh, that's gratifying uh, and comforting. You may know that on Sunday, as he prayed the Angelus in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis himself prayed for Kentucky. And I can't tell you what that meant to me. And certainly for those of us in, in Kentucky who heard that or have heard of it to be comforted, but in the, in the day to continue to tell that story. I also received uh, a letter from the Holy See expressing Pope Francis' uh, prayer and compassion for those who have been lost, for survivors, those who had lost their homes, and uh, to pray for those first responders. So there's been a lot of support come in. And then, just as, as always happens in human tragedy, neighbor is helping neighbor. I know in some of these little communities, uh, they've had to ask people from outside to stop coming in because they they couldn't organize things were a little bit chaotic so it could be that that sort of help will be needed more later than now uh but uh again you, you're just staggered by the, the loss but equally staggered by the immense human response of kindness and generosity Excellency, um, there's so many needs um, for the people in your diocese, uh, so many without water, without power, without food, uh, even uh, toys for Christmas. Uh, can you talk about uh, some of the, the needs uh, of the people? Well, you're, you're right. You know, there's not much you and I can do or, or the typical person can do to, uh, to restore power and water service. I know the state is trucking in tractor trailers of drinking water that's not going to solve uh 
bathing and uh, toilet needs, uh, that's going to have to happen on the local level. But so, so the state's got that covered, it would appear. Uh, in each different little community, the response to try to make uh, food and meals available to those who are homeless or whose homes are darkened right now, uh, it's, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm going to try to visit four of these communities today to offer support to the local pastors and uh, the aid workers that I can can contact without getting in the way. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure as far as Christmas. Uh, at some point, uh, yes, there's a lot of children that aren't going to have a typical Christmas. But exactly what kind of effort is being organized to provide for them uh, that may or may not happen on Christmas Day, but uh, God's blessings are abundant, and, and we as neighbors will find a way to 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 bring Santa Claus and to bring the gifts of the the baby Jesus to all those children. We're joined by His Excellency Bishop William Medley, the Bishop of the Diocese of Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, Excellency, um, how uplifting is it for you to see uh, so many organizations like Catholic Charities, the American Red Cross, and many others uh, coming to help with so many donations from people from all across our country? Well, it's, it's uh, the United States of America at its best when we do respond to, to neighbors in need. You know, obviously that raises the question of how many are in need uh, 24-7 around the year. Uh, but nonetheless, you don't, you don't criticize those who, who respond in this time. And uh, I, I am gratified. I say we, just, we cannot handle all the calls that are coming to the Chancery, and I'm sure that uh, the Red Cross and FEMA and other and all, all, many, many other Christian churches and other church groups are probably experiencing the same thing. And just want them to know it's appreciated. We'll do our best to get those into the hands of people that need it right away and not to forget us in the weeks to come, because this isn't going to re- be repaired overnight. This isn't going to be repaired when the lights come back on. Uh, I think we estimate 1,000 families uh, homes are not going to be repairable. Your Excellency, um, can you tell us uh, about the, the one little small miracle, uh, the miracle of the untouched uh, Virgin Mary and baby Jesus statue that seemed to be untouched outside uh, the damaged building of Resurrection Catholic Church, uh, still standing, uh, the statue totally untouched uh, despite uh, this incredible tornado? I would hope to see that today. That is, as you said, at Resurrection Catholic Church in Dawson Springs, Kentucky, which from all the reports I'm getting is probably going to be a total loss. But there is a powerful photograph of a statue of the Blessed Mother with the babe, baby Jesus in her arms, standing secure. And uh, that, uh, you know, I've seen that since Saturday. I've told that story since Saturday, but it still gives me chills to repeat that story. That what a sign of hope and confidence and strength that is. So uh, if we must raise that church and build a new church, you can be assured that 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 statue will have an honored and venerable place. 
Your Excellency, I know this reporter's heart has been touched uh, by uh, what is going on, uh, not only in your state, uh, but in other states uh, across our country. How can our listeners who are listening uh, across uh, relevant radio in our nation uh, help uh, spiritually and financially? Well, I'm glad you, you mentioned spiritually. You know, I feel a sense, again, with the Pope himself praying for us, I feel a sense of support from all over the country, from all over the world, and appreciate that. And uh, though you can't put that on a scale and measure it, uh, because it is immeasurable. As far as financial help, uh, if you go to the website of the Diocese of Owensboro, uh, it will give you directions as to how you can uh, can assist us. And of course, I'm sure the Red Cross and many, many other organizations are collecting funds as well. So whatever is most convenient, uh, I think all of us are striving to to apply your gifts and your generosity to immediate needs and and eventually longer term needs. So anything you can do to help us, uh, you will be rewarded with our gratitude and prayers. Your Excellency uh, Bishop Medley, our hearts uh, go out to everyone uh, in Kentucky and in your diocese. Can you share one final word of encouragement uh, uh, during this Advent season to remember uh, to pray for those that have been injured, those that have been affected by this tragedy, those who have lost their lives, and for their families? Uh, yes, I think back to the Mass I participated in with the Mayfield community on Sunday afternoon and Father Eric Riley, their pastor, preaching on the fact that that Sunday was Gaudete Sunday and that even in the long wait for the coming of the Lord, the people of God, the Israeli, the, the Israelites waited with joy in anticipation of the Lord. And so we too uh, wait with joy that God will, will heal and, and correct these things. And then also, as I told you, uh, we he spoke of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the message of Our Lady of Guadalupe to St. Juan Diego uh, when she came was, was one of hope. And she wanted a church built where pilgrims could come and express their hope. And uh, that's, that's a powerful message that in a time that can seem so hopeless, we ground ourselves in the promise that every hope will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Thank you so much, Your Excellency Bishop Medley. God bless you. Uh, so much appreciate uh, your time and being with us this morning. Thank you for helping us tell the story. Bishop William Medley, the Bishop of the Diocese of Owensboro, Kentucky. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona, will have the latest news from the Vatican on the Holy Father. Stay with us. There's much more to come on this edition of Morning Air. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com forester.
28 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. And now it's time to bring Rome to home as we do every Wednesday at this time for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live this morning to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome. You can read much more about them at johnandashley.org. Good morning. Buongiorno, Ashley. Thanks so much for being with us. Always great to be with you uh, from Roma. Oh, thank you, John. I'm happy to be with you too. And of course, to hear that beautiful Advent song as we say today, O come divine Messiah. Well, we are absolutely preparing our hearts uh, for the coming of the baby Jesus. And so it's it's wonderful to have uh, these beautiful Advent and Christmas uh, bumpers uh, this time of year. Um, Ashley, as, as we do every week, let's talk about uh, the, the main message of our Holy Father, of Pope Francis, in today's Wednesday audience. Yes, John, today was the fourth in Pope Francis' cycle that he has been giving on St. Joseph himself. And so these last few weeks, he spoke about, for example, the world into which St. Joseph was born. He talked about St. Joseph's role in salvation history and his love for the Virgin Mary. Well, today he spoke about the fact that St. Joseph uh, did not utter a single word that is recorded in the Gospels. And Pope Francis said that that's something that we should learn from him. He said the importance of cultivating silence. And it's only when we are in authentic silence that the word can emerge. So, of course, that is Christ himself. And then the Holy Spirit who dwells in us can be heard. So, the Pope explained that St. Joseph's silence in the gospel it isn't indicative of a passivity, but instead that it's a silence. He said it's full of listening. It's an industrious silence. And it's a silence that helps to enliven St. Joseph's interior life. So he encouraged all Catholics to follow St. Joseph's example and to really seek the contemplative dimension of life that can be opened only with silence. So the Pope acknowledged sometimes it's hard because we're fearful to look within. But on the other hand, uh, sometimes we find things like uh, silence pinpoints our, our bad habits. Uh, he pointed out slander or bragging or, or lies. But he said, don't be afraid. Remember that silence does us good and it will also benefit our tongue our words and our choices. And then John today, he finished the audience with a prayer. And uh, if I could, I'd, I'd be happy to lead you in our audience in praying that same prayer today, John. Absolutely, Ashley, for sure. <laughs> Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Saint Joseph, man of silence, you who in the gospel did not utter a single word, teach us to fast from vain words to rediscover the value of words that edify, that encourage, console, and support. Be close to those who suffer from words that hurt, like slander and backbiting, and help us always to match words with deeds. 
In your name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. What beautiful prayer. And uh, I find it uh, fascinating that uh, even though the official year of St. Joseph ended last week on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, the Holy Father continues to remind us uh, of the beauty and the importance of St. Joseph in our lives. Yes, and we're going to continue to hear about St. Joseph and how that relationship does not and cannot end with the ending of the year of St. Joseph on the 8th of this month. But instead, that was just a beginning, an opportunity for us to continue to grow that relationship by getting to know this great, strong saint even better. Ashley, um, we uh, had a special interview uh, in the last uh, segment uh, with His Excellency uh, Bishop William Medley, the Bishop of the Diocese of Owenboro, Kentucky, um, the very uh, state uh, that has been decimated by uh, these historic tornadoes that went through not only Kentucky, but five other states uh, this past weekend. I know the Holy Father uh, has remembered uh, the people here uh, of our nation uh, in his Sunday Angelus. Uh, Your your thoughts on, on that message Uh, from Pope Francis. Yes, in fact, uh, during the Angelus, he specifically asked all the faithful to pray for those in Kentucky, to pray for those who've lost their lives and those who have been affected by this horrible tragedy. And uh, of course, it means so much to know uh, always that our Pope is praying alongside of us. So uh, we, we certainly join in that intention, John. Absolutely. Um, there was uh, also uh, a blessing of uh, the yes. baby Jesus nativity fi- uh, figures at, at the, the Sunday Angelus uh, this past uh, yes. week. Yes. Yes, that is a special tradition that happens on the third Sunday of Advent, on Gaudete Sunday every year. Actually, it was a tradition that was started by Pope St. John Paul II. And what happened this particular Sunday, because it was also, it coincided with the the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe as well. So it was extra exciting. And uh, people arrived an hour early into St. Peter's Square this past Sunday to pray the rosary in honor of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the patroness of the Americas. And when Pope Francis prayed his Angelus and delivered his Angelus message, he mentioned that, that it applauded people for that, that act of faith and public witness to pray the rosary together. And also mentioned that this is the beginning of preparations for the Jubilee of Guadalupe, which is in 2031. So sure enough, looking ahead to that. So what happened then was that the Pope uh, offered for all of the pilgrims who were gathered in the square, especially the children, to hold up what is called the bambini, John, are the little figurines of the child, Jesus, that the children have taken from their own nativity scenes within their homes. So you bring the baby Jesus, I did the same, and um, hold up the baby Jesus. And I went with, uh, with some friends and their kids, and it was a very exciting moment. Everybody holds up the baby Jesus and asks for the special blessing of the Holy Father. and. Pope Francis concluded that message saying, uh, asking all to once again, greet Our Lady of Guadalupe with the words, long live Our Lady of Guadalupe, John. Wow, what a, what a beautiful mm-hmm. moment, especially for the children. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. I find it uh, very interesting that you mentioned uh, this upcoming uh, Jubilee um, if, if coming up in 2031. It'll mark uh, the, the 500 years since the apparitions of Our Lady of Guadalupe uh-huh. uh, to Juan Diego. So uh, we're gearing up for what's going to be a very special year. So it's great to see the Our Lady 
Lady Guadalupe, remembered by the Holy Father, she's not only the patroness of the Americas, but this devotion is spread throughout the whole universal church. That's right. And in fact, when you enter in St. Peter's Basilica into the grottoes to visit the tomb of St. Peter himself, the chapel that is next to St. Peter's tomb is dedicated to Our Lady of Guadalupe. So, of course, that means that millions of pilgrims uh, have the opportunity to pass that chapel of Our Lady and pray there and also to pray especially for the Americas, John. Oh, wow. That's that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, on a little bit uh, sadder note, what's going on with the reports that Italy's birth rate uh, has hit the, the lowest mark ever? Oh, John, it, it really, it's such a heartbreaking thing. This comes from the latest data that was released yesterday from our National Statistic Office here in Italy. And indeed, the, the birth rate is now the lowest since records have been kept since 1861. So the figure has been fall, falling for the last 12 years. Uh, in 2021, there were over 12,000 fewer babies born in Italy than the year before. And then in 2020, there were about 400,000 babies born in Italy, but that was down by 15,000 the year before. So that meant uh, that that the the deaths are outnumber uh, that the the births are ho- hardly outnumbering the deaths, and it's just become a very sad situation. So right now, uh, the average number of children per woman living in Italy is down to 1.24. And so that means that this is a, a ne- what's called a negative birth rate. They say that it is irreparable. And so with that said, uh, the demographers are saying that Italy is committing demographic suicide. It's a very sad situation. And so I invite you and all of our listeners to pray a prayer that that new life comes to Italy and springs from this this beautiful country, which of course also holds uh, the the Vatican and the heart of our faith. So it's so sad that this is a, a Catholic country that is really giving up its heritage, John. So prayers requested. Many prayers are needed and also maybe a campaign uh, to uh, motivate and inspire the folks. Hey, have more babies. Yes, I think that's a fabulous idea. And our uh, Minister of Health had started a couple of campaigns at one point, including the idea of looking into tax breaks for for children uh, being born, etc. So let's see what happens. Let's hope for the best. Ashley, on another note, uh, why have Rome residents been asked not to wrap their Christmas presents? <laughs> John, you're not going to believe this. This needs a little. I want to hear this one here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we got a new mayor back in October, and one of his pledges was that he was going to unveil a 40 million euro plan to clean up Rome within 60 days, and he's referring specifically to the garbage collection issue in Rome. Um, Now, the idea was to clean it up by Christmas. Soon that changed to at least let's clean it up by the end of the year. Well, that was soon followed by an announcement that all workers for our garbage collection agency, it's a state-run agency here, that they would receive a bonus of 360 euro if they actually do not take off any sick days between the 22nd of November and the 9th of January. And then, John, it changed a little bit. Then it became, if okay, if you don't take off more than three days between uh, those dates, then you will receive your bonus. Well, in the meantime, the, the 
Rome continues to to have this battle of trying to clean up these these rubbish strewn streets, and indeed. Now the, the sanitation department has officially requested Roman citizens. They said, we need all of your help to keep the Capitol clean. So please don't wrap any presents this year. Uh, give us less garbage to worry about. So the big question, John, is will Rome be clean for Christmas? Big, big question. I don't think it's worth it. Hey, wrap the presents and then make sure that you throw them away properly afterwards. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> Ashley, real quickly, I know uh, the uh, celebration of the Feast of uh, Santa Lucia in Rome uh, is always a big uh -huh. deal. Uh, what happened this time around? It's celebrated so beautifully here, John. Of course, we're remembering that that young fourth century virgin martyr who would help Christians who were hiding from Emperor Diocletian, trying to evade his wrath by uh, carrying food to them. And she managed to light her way by wearing a wreath that had candles on it. Well, that tradition continues today. This is a, a feast that's a, also especially celebrated in Sweden. So here in Rome, the embassy of Sweden held a particular concert in honor of the Feast of Saint. Lucy. And that is, of course, because her feast day coincides with the shortest day of the year. And so it's seen as a festival of light, preparing us for the true light of Christ to come into the world. So what happened? Well, there was a choir of 12 young people from Stockholm, from a high school there. They sang traditional Swedish uh, Advent hymns. They wore white, white robes with red sashes. So that white robe representing a baptismal robe, that red sash representing the blood of the martyrdom of St. Lucy. They all wore crowns of wreath on their head with candles. And afterwards, all the all the participants got to enjoy some hot spiced wine and some gingerbread biscuits, uh, for, specifically from Sweden to celebrate. So we pray that we will all have our hearts prepared to welcome the true light of the world. And we ask Santa Lucia to, to open our hearts to receive that light, John. Great message. Uh, th thanks so much, Ashley, as, as always. Uh, happy Advent. Merry Christmas. This is the last time that we'll be together. I'm going to be taking a little bit of time off here ah. uh, during the Christmas time. Uh, but thanks so much, as you always do, to bring Rome to home to our audience. Oh, it is a delight. One evento and many blessings on you. Take care. Take care. Feliz Navidad, as they say in Spanish. <laughs> Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. Listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Chris Faddis, president of Solidary Health Share, will join us to talk about America's health care crisis of skyrocketing prescription costs and drug pricing corruption. We'll talk all about it. Stay with us. There's much more to come on the other side here on Morning Air. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. of our dear Savior's birth. 46 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. 
on the Relevant Radio Network and on the Relevant Radio app. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now I want to change gears and talk about America's health care crisis. We try to talk about everything through a spiritual, through a Catholic lens. There's new information showing a disturbing amount of corruption surrounding drug prices, uh, which is permeating the health care discussion. And Washington is struggling to find a government-controlled solution to this problem. Why are Americans turning to health-sharing ministries in place of the traditional insurance companies? Joining us now to talk about America's health care crisis is Chris Fattis, co-founder and president of Solidarity HealthShare, a national not-for-profit ministry that provides an alternative way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing Catholic beliefs. Chris is married to Jennifer. They have five children. Good morning, Chris. Welcome to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, John. It's great to talk to you. This is um, an issue that we really haven't uh, talked about much uh, here on, on Morning Air, so it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be able to, d- to dive in. Can you tell us uh, what is going on uh, in the drug industry? Why should we as Catholics be concerned? You know, I think that the big thing um, most people are unaware of, and we're all aware that manufacturers are getting all kinds of incentives and, you know, just thinking about some of the, the most recent medications that have been developed by by COVID, you know, or for COVID, right, we're, we're, the government's giving a ton of money to develop the drugs and then we're paying a ton of money for the drugs. Um, but really, one of the things that people don't know about is the middleman incentives and the kind of the game that these, these uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers have with what's called pharmacy benefits managers, which are organizations that are out there aggregating the the, the cost savings uh, as well as the you know the networks of insurance carriers, and then what we don't what we don't see is the hidden incentives, the the huge amount of rebates that these uh, pharmacy benefits managers get, you know, by getting our insurers to to use them as their cost aggregator, then they're getting these massive massive uh, incentives. Um, that are hit that are typically hidden most of us have no clue uh, and that's really what's driving costs up and we're talking billions and billions of dollars of hidden incentives um, you know you you might get a medication on a discount but what you don't see is the fact that there's another you know 60 70 100 some dollars per medication that might be going to these manufacturers and so that's the biggest issue I think that no one's talking about that certainly manufacturers there's also some other issues there um, that you know how they're how they're pricing medications, but that middleman incentive game uh, is is truly what's what's driving the cost, and it's and it's affecting all of us. It's affecting seniors. It's affecting you know young families, um, making it near impossible for some folks to even afford the medications uh, that they that they desperately need. Uh, the, the big question in the minds of many people is why is this happening and why is this allowed uh, to continue to happen. Well, I, I would say, you know, I know I know Congress and, uh, you know, definitely uh, different administrations have tried to address it. You know, the healthcare lobby is rather massive. You know, even this last year, I believe the the amount of money that the pharmaceutical industry, you know, paid out in, in lobbying uh, to Congress was it was about a 25 percent increase over years previous. Um, and they just continue to drive the dollars wherever the influence is. It used to, you know, it, it's gone to Republicans on a heavy level when, when Republicans are in charge, and then it goes to Democrats. Uh, it's kind of bi- it, it's one thing that's bipartisan in Congress <laughs> is that these uh, 
these these dollars are being spent by the healthcare lobby to to keep things the way they are, and it takes a lot of effort for for Congress and even some really, you know, um, in people with integrity and in, in in the government who are trying to fight this. But it's just to keep a die on the ball to say, hey, we've got to keep fighting against this. Um, you know, it's not going to take the problem away if we just get rid of the pharmacy benefits managers. We're still going to have to deal with the other the other side of it, but we've got to keep focused on that. But ultimately, for, for me, what I've seen is it just takes us taking control of it. You know, so for health sharing, one of the things we do is we fight against that ourselves. We, we take control of our health care individually as members, and then we say, hey, we're going to come up with a different way. We can solve this. Uh, we're not going to wait on Congress. We're just going to do it a different, a different way. Uh, Chris, how, how much have you seen uh, that this is going on, especially uh, during this pandemic? Uh, you mentioned some of the drugs. Uh, there are people who think that, that the same thing is going on with the, with the vaccines as well. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the, the, the reality is, I mean, certainly I understand. I think we all can understand the government stepping in and helping to fund research, you know, when there's a pandemic or any sort of health crisis where we need medication. Um but I think one of the, you know, one of the concerns I have is, is that we're, you know, we're, we're still prioritizing new name brand drugs, which we all know can, can uh, cost a lot more money over things that are available that are, that are in the generic market, right? And so, you know, one of the things that's an interesting uh, detail that I, I actually didn't learn until earlier this year is that of, of all drug costs in the country, only name brands only make up for 8% of the market share of how, you know, what's available on the market out of all the medications available. Name brands are only 8% yet. They make up for 50% of the cost of medication. Wow. And so that's a massive. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. Number, right? We continue to drive people to, to these name brand medications. Uh, and, and you can see that today with some of these medications being de- developed for COVID when there are plenty of very good therapeutic um, alternatives to those medications available today that can help fight viruses and, and all other things. And they've been working for years on various viruses. And here we are dumping billions of dollars in developing a new medication, which is very similar, just so it could have a name brand tag on it. Chris, what about from an ethical perspective? What are some of the issues uh, that we as Catholics uh, are facing with the, the traditional health insurance? You know, I, well, for one, I would, I would say cost. I mean, I, I've started to really learn over these last few years that, in my mind, cost is an ethical issue. You know, we, we, are, we are not um, really, you know, providing economic justice in our current system, and it's really affecting and impacting American families, you know, in all, in all ways and, and causing a lot of financial burden. So, so I would say that is a, a primary ethical concern. But in addition to that, obviously, the, the issue is over um, you know, abortifacients being included in many health plans, uh, birth control, sterilizations, all of those things are, are very uh, big issues that we should all be concerned about. And we have to remember that whoever pays our health care bill, you know, are typically for most Americans, it's an insurance bill, right? Whoever's paying for our health care is controlling the ethics of our health care. And so it's an important uh, thing to consider and think about how am I getting my health care and, and what can I do about making sure that, that I'm practicing my Catholic beliefs in, in my healthcare decisions? Uh, Chris, in the final moments we have here, I want to give you the platform to, to share uh, a solution to these skyrocketing drug prices. Sure. You know, as I think many of your listeners know about Solidarity HealthShare and the work we do, uh, you know, to, to support our members and their health care needs. 
uh, you know, we're a nonprofit Catholic organization that is that is faithful to the teachings of the church, and our members share each other's healthcare costs. They take control of these healthcare decisions. Uh, we help them with that. One of the things, John, that we're excited to to have announced this this spring, or the, I'm sorry, this fall, excuse me, wrong season, is that uh, we now share into prescription costs with our members. And so, uh, we would love to invite more, you know, relevant radio listeners to be a part of of uh, this incredible ministry of, of Catholics who are sharing each other's medical needs um, and doing so in, a, in, a, in an ethical manner, uh, in a manner that's considering the cost and, and really helping save our members money uh, every single day. Real quickly, where can our listeners uh, go to find out much more about Solidarity HealthShare? Well, definitely visit us at SolidarityHealthShare.org or they can call us at 844-313-4999. One more time. Uh, SolidarityHealthShare.org or call us at 844-313-4999. Excellent. Thanks so much, uh, Chris, uh, for being with us. Uh, Many blessings uh, the rest of this Advent. Merry Christmas. Uh, Thank you again uh, for bringing this issue to our listeners. Advent blessings to you, John. God bless. God bless you, too. Chris Faddis, co-founder and president of Solidarity HealthShare. Now it's time for another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called Two Babies. In 1994, two Americans answered an invitation from the Russian Department of Education to teach morals and ethics based on biblical principles in the public schools. They were invited to teach at prisons, businesses, the fire and police departments, and a large orphanage. About 100 boys and girls who'd been abandoned, abused, and left in the care of a government-run program were in the orphanage, and they related the following story in their own words. It was nearing the holiday season, 1994, time for our orphans to hear for the first time the traditional story of Christmas. We told them about Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem. Finding no room in the inn, the couple went to a stable where the baby Jesus was born and placed in a manger. Throughout the story, the children and orphanage staff sat in amazement as they listened. Some sat on the edges of their stools, trying to grasp every word. Completing the story, we gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a crude manger, and each child was given a small paper square cut from yellow napkins I'd brought with me as no colored paper was available at that time in the city. Following instructions, the children tore the paper and carefully laid strips in the manger for straw. Small squares of flannel cut from a worn-out nightgown an American lady was throwing away as she left Russia were used for the baby's blanket. A doll-like baby was cut from tan felt we brought from the U.S., The orphans were busy assembling their manger as I walked among them to see if they needed any help. All went well till I came to one table where little Misha sat. He looked to be about six years old. He'd finished his project. As I looked at the little boy's manger, I was startled to see not one but two babies in the manger. Quickly, I called for the translator and asked the lad why there were two babies in the manger. Crossing his arms in front of him and looking at this completed manger scene, the child began to repeat the story very seriously. For such a young boy who had only heard the Christmas story once, he related the happenings accurately until he came to the part where Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger. Then Misha started to ad-lib. He made up his own ending to the story as he said, And when Maria laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked if I had a place to stay. I told him I have no mama and I have no papa, so I didn't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everybody else did. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much. I thought about what I had that maybe I could use for a gift. I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? 
And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that'll be the best gift anybody ever gave me. So I got into the manger. And then Jesus looked at me and he told me I could stay with him for always. As little Misa finished his story, his eyes brimmed full of tears that splashed down his little cheeks. Putting his hand over his face, his head dropped to the table and his shoulders shook as he sobbed and sobbed. The little orphan had found someone who would never abandon or abuse him, someone who would stay with him for always. From Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Thanks so much, as always, Glenn. Now, coming up uh, next hour here on Morning Air, Father Marcel Tyone, our spiritual director, will be with us to talk about uh, the many Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled by the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Professor Harry Kramer, Professor of Management and Strategy at Kellogg School of Management, will talk to us about the benefit and impact of spending three days in silence to build a deeper relationship with Jesus through silent retreats. So we're going to talk about the importance of silent retreats. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air next hour on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.